Chapter 1 The Professor and His Family On the 24th of May, 1863, my uncle, Professor Liedenbrock, rushed into his little house, number 19 Königstrasse, one of the oldest streets in the oldest portion of the city of Hamburg. Martha must have concluded that she was very much behindhand, for the dinner had only just been put into the oven. Well, now, said I to myself, if that most impatient of men is hungry, what a disturbance he will make. Monsieur Liedenbrock, so soon, cried poor Martha, in great alarm, half opening the dining-room door. Yes, Martha, but very likely the dinner is not half-cooked, for it is not two yet. St. Michael's clock has only just struck half-past one. Then why has the master come home so soon? Perhaps he will tell us that himself. Here he is, Monsieur Axel. I will run and hide myself while you argue with him and Martha retreated in safety into her own dominions. I was left alone, but how was it possible for a man of my undecided turn of mind to argue successfully with so irascible a person as the professor? With this persuasion I was hurrying away to my own little retreat upstairs, when the street door creaked upon its hinges. Heavy feet made the whole flight of stairs to shake, and the master of the house, passing rapidly through the dining-room, threw himself in haste into his own sanctum. But on his rapid way he found time to fling his hazel-stick into a corner, his rough broad-brim upon a table, and these few emphatic words at his nephew. "'Axel, follow me!' I had scarcely had time to move when the professor was again shouting after me. "'What? Not come yet?' And I rushed into my redoubtable master's study. Otto Liedenbrock had no mischief in him. I willingly allow that. But unless he very considerably changes as he grows older— at the end he will be a most original character. He was professor at the Johanneum, and was delivering a series of lectures on, on mineralogy, in the course of every one of which he broke into a passion once or twice at least. Not at all that he was over-anxious about the improvement of his class, or about the degree of attention with which they listened to him, or the success with which he might eventually crown his labours. Such little matters of detail never troubled him much. His teaching was, as the German philosophy calls it, subjective. It was to benefit himself, not others. He was a learned egotist. He was a well of science, and the pulleys worked uneasily when you wanted to draw anything out of it. In a word, he was a learned miser. Germany has not a few professors of this sort. To his misfortune, my uncle was not gifted with a sufficiently rapid utterance, not to be sure when he was talking at home, but certainly in his public delivery. This is a want much to be deplored in a speaker. The fact is that during the course of his lectures at the Johannium, the professor often came to a complete standstill. He fought with willful words that refused to pass his struggling lips, such words as resist and distend the cheeks, and at last break out into the unasked-for shape of a round and most unscientific oath. Then his fury would gradually abate. Now in mineralogy there are many half-Greek and half-Latin terms, very hard to articulate, which would be most trying to a poet's measures. I don't wish to say a word against so respectable a science, far be that from me. True in the august presence of rhombohedral crystals, retinasphaltic resins, gelanites, phasaites, molybdentites, tongue-states of manganese, and titanite of zirconium, why the most facile of tongues may make a slip now and then. It therefore happened that this venial fault of my uncle's came to be pretty well understood in time, and an unfair advantage was taken of it. The students laid in wait for him in dangerous places, and when he began to stumble, 
Loud was the laughter, which is not in good taste, not even in Germans. And if there was always a full audience to honour the Liedenbrock courses, I should be sorry to conjecture how many came to make merry at my uncle's expense. Nevertheless, my uncle was a man of deep learning, a fact I am most anxious to assert and reassert. Sometimes he might irretrievably injure a specimen by his too great ardour in handling it, but still he united the genius of a true geologist with the keen eye of the mineralogist. Armed with his hammer, his steel pointer, his magnetic needles, his blowpipe, and his bottle of nitric acid, he was a powerful man of science. He would refer any mineral to its proper place among the six hundred elementary substances, now enumerated by its fracture, its appearance, its hardness, its fusibility, its sonorousness, its smell, and its taste. The name of Liedenbrock was honourably mentioned in colleges and learned societies. Humphrey Davies.